This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. This evening, I am joined by Mr. Chris Tripodi. Chris, I think this is either third or fourth year that you're back here recapping team by team the AFC from the 2021 NFL Draft. Excited to have you back. How are you doing? I'm good. I I think it's year four. I could be wrong on that. It's definitely at least three, but I I do believe it's year four. And, uh, you know, it's like our annual tradition here. Get together, talk some some AFC teams and... uh, certainly looking forward to it tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to take a little time to kind of decompress before I do these team by team recap shows, because, you know, I think we have these initial takes right after the draft. So much of that, I think, is carried by like a little bit of pre-draft bias that I always like to, you know, we here Saturday, Sunday, we kind of go to the fantasy route. We do the rookie rankings, the IDP rankings. We do a mock draft show. Then I like to kind of come back after a little bit of time has passed to do these team by team recaps to kind of get a little better assessment of what I thought of them as a whole and a little bit more time to process it. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to go division by division in the AFC. We're mostly going to we're going to rattle off the picks that each team made in the first five rounds. We're going to say our favorite pick, our most questionable pick, our value pick, a little summary of the team. If there's anybody from the late rounds or if there's someone that you know off the top of your head from the UDFA ranks that you really are intrigued by, feel free to to share that as well, but not necessary. I know it was a very very weird year for the UDFAs. We had teams like the Patriots who didn't even sign anybody. You know, so it, it's one of those weird years, I think, with so many less players who who ended up declaring because of everything with COVID and decided to go back to school. So definitely a, a, a more unique year. I think it's going to be a lot harder for the late round guys to make teams, make the active rosters, and I think it's even going to be harder for UDFA guys. So, Chris, why don't you kick it off with the first team in the AFC East? All right, and we're going alphabetically, so that team is the Buffalo Bills, and they picked number 30 in the first round, drafted Miami defensive end pass rusher Gregory Rousseau, and then in round two, they drafted Wake Forest defensive end Carlos Basham, doubling down on the position after they also drafted A.J. Epinesa last season, then in round three, Northern Iowa offensive lineman Spencer Brown, and in round five, no fourth-round picks for Buffalo, Miami of Ohio offensive lineman Tommy Doyle, a bunch of six-round picks. Marquez Stevenson uh, out of Houston. The wide receiver is a little bit intriguing, but I would say my favorite pick of what Buffalo did here was Carlos Basham. Um, you know, anyone who listens to my podcast with with Tony Pauline, we've talked about Carlos Basham for a long time now. Um, maybe he's not the elite pass rusher, a guy that's going to get you twelve sacks or you know anything like that, but he is a complete defensive end. He's a guy that can play the run. He's a guy that can get after the passer. He's a good athlete. He's been very productive. I mean, this is a guy who's constantly getting double and triple teamed at Wake Forest, still managing to make plays despite being the center of attention for opposing offenses, the guy that they want to make sure they keep away from the football. Um, So, I mean, this guy is a great value pick late in the second round. I probably thought he should have been an earlier second round pick, probably a top 40, top 45 type of guy. Um, You know, I think he's a little bit better then AJ Epinesa, um, you know, those two guys are going to be big in the rotation for them next year, along with Rousseau, who they took in the first round because Jerry Hughes is gone. Mario Addison is gone. So those three are probably their top the three defensive ends 
next year. If we want to talk about questionable picks, I'm actually going to go with Rousseau. I don't necessarily think he was bad value at the end of the first round, but I do think a guy with one year of production, obviously he has some excellent traits in terms of what you look for in an explosive edge rusher, but you know, one year of production, he opted out this past year. Um, you know, it, it just makes you a little bit wary. Um, also the bills had in general, a pretty good draft. Um, you know, no huge reaches, no, nothing terribly questionable. Um, so that's, that's why I'm going with Rousseau here. I just think there is a lot of bust potential in the pick. There is a lot of upside too. definitely a boom bust type of guy, but if he does bust, then again, they can fall right back on Epinesa who, you know, had an okay rookie year last year. Nothing, nothing crazy after he fell to the second round quite like Bastrom did. Um, but then you have the two of them that can step in if Rousseau isn't ready at any point. And then I would say the value pick for me is Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa, a guy that, you know, not a lot of people thought of as one of the top offensive linemen in the draft. And I'm not saying he should have gone, you know, in the top 50 or anything like that. But I mean, this is a guy who's a good football player, obviously comes from a small school. So that, you know, is going to ding him a little bit in a lot of rankings. A lot of people may not have seen him play, but he's a good player. He's got the versatility to play tackle and guard so they can use him at multiple positions. It allows them to potentially draft and, and have kind of flexibility later on. Um, so I think Spencer Brown is a guy who's going to start for them eventually down the line. I don't know what position necessarily. He has that kind of flexibility and those kind of options. He was a tackle in college, could play guard at the NFL level. So I like that value pick for the Buffalo Bills here. Yeah, I mean, I like what the Bills did a little bit. They definitely have a prototype, right? Epinesa last year, Boogie Basham, Gregory Rousseau. You know, they like those style of guys, right? You look at those guys, and they probably all profile as traditional 4-3 defensive ends. But those those designations now, I feel like, are so going by the wayside because how many teams play in sub-packages, you know, on, on such a heavy percentage. But all three of those guys, I think the mindset of some NFL teams is they really like those guys that can – kick inside and sub packages and rush from the interior. And I think all three of those guys, Epinesa from last year, Basham and Russo this year, I think that might be where they're at their best. They don't have like that explosive, explosive first step off the edge, but I think they're, they're all good pass rushers. Obviously Russo's stats that one year were, were fantastic, but I think there are some questions there. So I thought they had a solid draft. You know, we were only really discussing the top five round picks, but one guy that really did intrigue me was Marquez Stevenson. They obviously moved on from John Brown. Can Marquez Stevenson as that pure vertical speedster, can he get an opportunity there with Josh Allen is something I'll be keeping an eye on. I personally didn't think there was a three round difference between a guy like Anthony Schwartz and Marquez Stevenson. I thought they were pretty pretty similar in terms of style of player, in terms of value. So I thought that could have been a little bit interesting pick there from Buffalo. So keep it going and go right into the next team in the East. And that next team is the New England Patriots here in the first round at number 15 overall. They drafted a player that a lot of people believed for a long time was going to be the third overall pick, and that's Alabama quarterback Mac Jones in the second round. They went with Mac Jones' teammate on the other side of the football, Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama at number 38. In round three, Oklahoma defensive end Ronnie Perkins was the selection, probably going to end up lining up as a, as a linebacker in the Patriots scheme, or at least somebody who's going to be you know, on the depth chart listed as a linebacker. And then they double down again, and they go with another Oklahoma player. So two Alabama guys, two Oklahoma guys in the first four rounds, Ramondre Stevenson at pick 120. And then in round five, Michigan linebacker Cameron McGrone, was the selection for New England. For me, the best pick here, I'm going to have to go with Ronnie Perkins. Um, you know, this is a guy who can get after the quarterback. Um, you know, to get him at 96 overall, I mean, we talk all the time about pass rushers. I think last year, a good example was a guy like Alex Highsmith who went to the Steelers. Um, you know, he was a guy, smaller school, but 
had a lot of upside as a pass rusher and people thought of him as a third day pick. Well, you know, if a guy can really rush the passer and has that kind of upside, they don't get out of the top 100 in the modern NFL anymore. They don't get to the third day. Uh, It's very difficult for a player like that to get kind of sliding through the cracks here. I mean, you got Max Crosby. You had it happen a couple of years ago to Oakland, but this past year Crosby wasn't all that great. Burst onto the scene as a rookie. But I mean, you look at Ronnie Perkins. I mean, this, this is a guy that can get after the quarterback and to get him at pick 96, I think was really, really good value for the Patriots. Definitely my favorite pick of what they did here. Um, Christian Barmore is also a very good pick. I'd even say I'd call him a value pick at number 38, because this is a guy that is going to pre, you know, he's going to step in immediately on the interior of the Patriots defensive line. He's going to, you know, we talk about Perkins providing pass rush from the outside. He's obviously going to be more of a backup in a rotational role this year, potentially more in the future, but Barmore is going to get you that interior pressure. He's your prototypical three technique and he's an explosive guy on the inside. Uh, so he's a guy that, you know, can really wreak havoc from the interior of the defense. And, you know, as we know in today's NFL, interior pressure is so important. You know, a lot of guys can get off the edge and a lot of quarterbacks can step up into the pocket or they can run away from guys coming off the edge. If a guy comes up the middle, it's going to be pretty hard. You have to break contain in the pocket. And then if you have guys coming off the edge, you're trapped, you're stuck. You can't step up in the pocket. Uh, So that's certainly going to be a good pick for the Patriots. You could arguably flip them if you want and say my favorite is Barmore, say the value is Ronnie Perkins. That's totally fine as well. Uh, For me, the questionable pick, I mean, start at the top. It's Mac Jones. Um, you know, I, I know I've talked with Paul a lot off air and via text or whatever it is about the quarterbacks in this class. And I mean, for me, Mac Jones, you know, he's late first round, early second round type of prospect. And obviously the quarterbacks are always going to get pushed off the board. So I understand why he went in the middle of the first round, but I just don't see a difference making quarterback. I see a guy, you know, he's got a decent floor. I mean, at worst, he's going to be like a high level backup spot starter. I mean, you don't want that at pick 15, certainly. Um, but I, I think certainly he's a guy that's going to get an opportunity to start sooner rather than later. He's a smart quarterback. Uh, he's got enough arm. I wouldn't say he's got a great arm by any stretch, but not a great athlete either. Also didn't make a ton of starts in college. I mean, if you look at kind of the the three main traits that you might want in a quarterback, experience, arm talent, and athleticism, you can argue that Mac Jones doesn't really have any of them to the level of what you might want in a starting quarterback or a top-level quarterback prospect. Um, you know, again, he did a lot of good things at Alabama last year, even if he doesn't have the best deep arm, I was always impressed by his deep accuracy, really dropping balls in the bucket, good anticipation, understands that if his receiver is going to be 45 yards downfield, he doesn't have the arm to start the throw when he's 30 yards downfield. He might have to start it when he's 22, 23 yards downfield, but he understands that he's a good player. He's smart. He impressed at the senior bowl, good leadership qualities. I think he can be a decent NFL starter. Uh, but you know, with that kind of upside, taking a guy at pick 15, when, I mean, you look at. Justin Fields going four picks earlier, the amount of upside that Justin Fields has compared to Mac Jones is just, it's not comparable at all. And to say that they're four picks apart, I mean, you could argue that Fields should have gone earlier and maybe Mac Jones went where he should have. But to me, that's the the questionable pick here for the Patriots. And certainly it's the one they need to hit the most. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much agree with just about every single thing you said from the value and, and favor picks. Listen, if Barmore would have went at 15 in the first round, I don't think it would have been crazy. I thought he was, I thought he was probably going to go in the 20 to 32 range. You know, there were whispers that he could fall out of round one, but then, you know, there were also, I know senior bowl director, uh, Jim Nagy had mentioned that he thought Barmore was being slept on by like the media a little bit in terms and like Twitter and stuff. And he thought he was going to go higher than I think people were expecting. Now, obviously that didn't pan out, 
But if if Barmer would have been the pick at 15 or somewhere in the in that part of mid to late first round, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye. I don't think anybody would have said that's crazy. He was the clear best defensive tackle in the class. Obviously, if it was a da- it was a down year all in all, but he he did warrant being a first round selection, even though he went early second. And I think Ronnie Perkins could have went in the mid to late second round, and I don't think it would have been crazy. So I really like both of those picks. But yeah, if you want to play that game of oh, you can think about it as Barmer flip flop of Mac Jones, and then Mac Jones goes in the early second and, and it looks better yeah you could do that thing but at the same time the questionable thing for me is right what you said were they aggressive or were they not like we'll never truly know were they trying to get up there and get justin fields were they one were they a team that the giants talked to but they probably weren't going to offer their first round next year so maybe the giants weren't interested and were willing to go back further we'll we'll never know but you're right the gap between them to me should be more than 11 to 15. So I would have liked to see them be a little bit more aggressive. And I thought if they got Justin Fields, they wouldn't have to have two completely different offenses with Cam Newton to Justin Fields. But now they're going to have to have two completely different offenses if one quarterback is starting and then at some point Mac Jones takes over. It's not going to be this seamless transition. I got to imagine it's going to be a changes for the blocking scheme and the offensive linemen and, and the receivers and what their responsibilities and what they're going to be asked for. So definitely questionable there. Everything else spot on what you said there with the Patriots. So keep this going. Um, what were we on Miami, right? Yeah, um, for those of you that might be yelling through your phones or however you listen to the podcast, no, the letter N does not come before the letter M in the alphabet. Uh, <laughs> that was me skipping over the second alphabetical team in the Miami Dolphins. Uh, but we will take a look at their draft now. Two first-round picks for Miami this year. Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddle was the selection at number six after they traded down from number three to number 12 and then back up from number 12 to number six, netted themselves an extra future first-round pick in the process. They went with the other Miami defensive end, Jalen Phillips, at number 18 with that second first-round pick. Then two selections in the second round, Oregon safety Javon Holland and Notre Dame offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg. Then Boston College tight end Hunter Long in the third round. Nothing from rounds four through six for Miami, but five picks within the top 81 of the draft. I would have to say my favorite pick, it's got to be Jalen Waddell. Um, you, know, you just look at what he's going to be able to bring this offense. I know Paul has talked very very often and very vehemently on this podcast about, you know, him being the closest um, prospect that we've seen come out to Tyree kill when, you know, a lot of guys are, are getting compared there. Um, I mean, the reality is that Jalen Waddle, yeah, he's very fast, but he's also an excellent receiver. He's really good after the catch. I mean, he's a guy you want the ball in his hands, whether you get it to him in the short field, whether you get it to him 50 yards down the field, he's a guy that you want to get the ball to. Now I understand the size certainly isn't ideal, but when you're that fast, you can kind of, get past those sides. And, you know, a lot of people have issues with speed receivers because a lot of them end up like, um, you know, let's throw John Ross out there because I mean, John Ross is a guy that I really liked. I thought he was a very good receiver in college, not just a speed guy. Now maybe injuries have been his issue. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, his touchdown per reception rate is pretty ridiculous. When you look over his career stats, he has like 12 career touchdowns and probably like 80 catches or something like that. Um, So, I mean, you know, Maybe injuries are what held John Ross back. But, you know, Jalen Waddle's a better prospect than John Ross was. John Ross went ninth overall. He's a better prospect than Henry Ruggs was last year. I wasn't as high on Ruggs as a lot of people, but I am high on Jalen Waddle. I do think he's, you know, exactly what Miami could need. Obviously, they brought Will Fuller in in the offseason to give them that downfield speed. So maybe Waddle takes kind of a backseat in terms of being the main downfield guy. But, you know, now they have two guys that can stretch the field in Fuller and Waddle, really open up the intermediate of the field for Devonte Parker. And, you know, with reports coming out that Tua Tagovailoa is now feeling 10 times better 
after his hip surgery, which I mean, if we're going to be honest, that had to have been affecting him last year, even if him or the Miami Dolphins were not saying it publicly. Um, the reality is that had to have been affecting him. But, you know, really no excuses entering year two for Tua here. Got a much improved supporting cast. Still has Mike Jasicki there as well. And we mentioned Hunter Long is going to come in and kind of be the inline compliment. Um, that's value pick for me. It's hard to say they don't really have a guy that I look at and say, wow, that was outstanding value in this draft. I guess if you made me choose which guy it would be, I guess it would be Hunter Long. Um, it, it's I, I kind of want to just choose none here because I think all these guys kind of went where they should have gone um for me uh so i'm just going to skip over the the value field here i mean you know jalen phillips probably should go around 18 javon holland probably should go on around 36 i mean you could argue that uh he shouldn't have been the second safety off the board but the real questionable pick for me here is liam eikenberg out of notre dame um you know curious to see how they use him whether they're going to try him out at tackle where they're going to try to bump him into guard um i just never really thought he was a top 40 borderline first round type of prospect i know you know he was mocked in the late first round in a lot of drafts early second round and that's you know where he ended up going uh, miami did this last year too when they selected austin jackson a lot earlier than people expected um i just i don't know that liam eikenberg was really a top 50 pick i think he's more of a late second early third round pick um, I think he got boosted up a little by just, you know, the fact that he went to Notre Dame, the fact that, you know, he was productive in college. But if you watch him, there's really just nothing outstanding about his game. And, and you could argue, well, that's why he's a second round pick instead of a first round pick. But for me, he's more of a late second, early third round type of guy. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins, all in all, I'm a fan of what they did. But it's interesting because you look at the Jalen Waddle pick, and obviously I love Jalen Waddle, the player. I still have my reservations about what they did, though, to get to Jalen Waddell. I loved the trade back with San Francisco, and then they immediately moved the trade back up. And, you know, hindsight is much easier for me to sit here and say this, but if you think about it, when they, when they fell back there with the, with the 49ers swap and they were sitting there at 12, they could have been in position to then do what, Philadelphia did and go from 12 to 10 and only would have cost them a third rounder. So I, that's the one thing I think like, yeah, we don't, we didn't know is that, but I wonder if they reacted too quickly to moving up before the draft. And if they would have let the draft play itself out and then kind of wait to see how the draft was unfolding, they could have potentially got Devonta Smith and still been sitting on two first round picks from that San Francisco deal and not have given up one. So that might be my only thing that I question. But if, if we are to believe them and, you know, a lot of things come out post draft, some of it's probably truth and some of it's not. They had Waddle on a different stratosphere than, than probably some other guys, right? They, according to what we, what's out there, he was their number two player on their board only behind Trevor Lawrence, ahead of Jamar Chase. So for them, there might have been a gap between a teardrop or a gap significant between Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith, and they wanted to put themselves in a position to feel pretty confident based on what we knew with the quarterbacks that they were going to get Jalen Waddle by going to six, and they had to pay the price to go back up there and, and you know use one of those two first-rounders that they had gotten from San Francisco. Everything else, though, I would almost have say that Jalen Phillips is a value and a questionable pick, right? If he pans out and he's the guy that you know the injury concerns or the concussion concerns or the retirement worries if that was not there he probably is a top 10 top 12 pick and closest true top defensive end in this class but at the same time there's questions that surround it as well but I agree with you on the rest of it not a lot of value more appropriate 
greatness in terms of where it is. So why don't we close out the AFC East with a team close to your heart, the New York Jets. Yes, the the New York Jets breaking my heart year after year. But really, the the last two years, uh, at least in the NFL draft, they have not broken my heart. Joe Douglas seems to be kind of turning things around here in terms of what he's been able to do in the draft. Obviously, the on-field product last year was what it was. uh, But we're focusing on the draft here and what they did at pick number two was select BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. They had a second first-round pick from the Jamal Adams trade at number 23 overall. They traded up with Minnesota to number 14, got USC guard Elijah Vera Tucker, who's a tackle in college, but going to move into guard at the NFL level. And then pick 34, second pick of round two. They went with Old Miss wide receiver Elijah Moore. Then they had a pick in the fourth round, no, nothing in the third round, thanks to that Vikings trade where they gave up two third-round picks. A North Carolina running back Michael Carter, though, was the selection at pick 107. Then three picks in the fifth round, Auburn safety, Jamie and Sherwood, guy they might transition to linebacker, Duke defensive back, Michael Carter, the second, not to be confused with the UNC version of Michael Carter and pick cornerback, Jason Pinnock, epic number 175 to wrap up their picks in the top five rounds. And for me, my favorite pick here is the Elijah Moore pick. Um, part of me did want them to kind of trade down from this pick and maybe recoup a little extra value that they gave up to move up for Elijah Vera Tucker, which, you know, they traded down a lot last year. So I'm okay with giving up those assets to go up and get a guy that you want. That's going to fortify a position of need. And that fills it at good value. So I was more than happy with that Vera Tucker trade. Um, But you look at Elijah Moore. I mean, he's just an explosive playmaker. And if you look at the Jets roster at the wide receiver position, they don't have that explosive playmaker. They don't have it in the backfield either. Um, so, I mean, they don't, they just didn't have a guy that you could get the ball into his hands and he could do things with it after the catch, a guy who could get downfield like that. I mean, Jamison Crowder is a good slot receiver, but he's a possession guy. Denzel Mims has some speed to take the top off the of defenses, but he's not, no one would necessarily call him an explosive playmaker. And then Corey Davis, a good receiver, but again, not an explosive guy. So Elijah Moore really brings an element to the Jets offense that has been lacking for a while. Um, I'm really excited to see what kind of role they give him early on. I don't think, you know, people are talking about them cutting Jamison Crowder and saving some money. Crowder's still a good player, and he's a guy that you want around to help develop a rookie quarterback. So I think they'd be silly to cut Crowder. Um, I just think, you know, Elijah Moore is a guy that you're going to rotate in in year one. You're going to get him plenty of reps. You're going to get the ball in his hands, you know, a couple times a game as much as you can. And then next year, um, you know, when Crowder's possibly gone, you know, that's the time for, you know, him to potentially explode onto the scene. So that's my favorite pick of what they did. I'd say their best value was Michael Carter, the USC running back, not the Duke safety. Um, I mean, just Michael Carter is the guy that everyone thought was going to go late second, early third round. And I know all the running backs got pushed down the board this year, but you know, when I saw that Michael Carter pick, I was very happy about it. Uh, you know, the jets, you know, last year in the fourth round, they drafted the Michael P Ryan, a guy that I liked more than most people um, this year in the fourth round, they draft Michael Carter. I mean, those are probably going to be the two guys in their backfield. I know they have Ty Johnson too, who played pretty well towards the end of last season, but they don't really have anything invested in him. And, and Joe Douglas has taken two backs in back-to-back years in round four. Uh, and, and they're backs that complement each other pretty well. Uh, you know, P Ryan's a guy you can, you can run inside. He's more of an all around back, like a Jamal Williams type, um, you know, doesn't hurt you anywhere, but not explosive. Whereas Michael Carter may not have great speed, but he's explosive. He's got burst and he can play on passing downs. Uh, I, I really like that pick from a value perspective for the Jets. And then, I mean, the questionable, questionable pick, I mean, it's, you kind of have to start at the top again, just like with the Patriots. And you got to say Zach Wilson at number two. Um, this isn't, you know, me hating the Zach Wilson pick. He was my number three quarterback this year. I had Justin Fields number two. That's the guy I would have taken in this situation. Obviously NFL teams felt a bit differently if they let him fall outside the top 10. But I mean, for me, you're, you're betting on a lot of things with Zach Wilson and you're betting on one year of 
really outstanding production. Now, granted, he's been a starter for several seasons and he's been solid. Um, but, you know, he was like a fifth, sixth round type of prospect before the season started. Obviously skyrocketed up pretty similarly to Baker Mayfield. I mean, Mayfield went number one overall, but wasn't in a class with Trevor Lawrence. So that's not necessarily a fair comparison to say one went one and one went two, but kind of similar in the sense that, you know, both guys are, you know, they're decent athletes, but they're not explosive athletes. They're not going to provide a lot with their legs, but they can provide a little bit. I think Wilson probably provides a little bit more than Baker Mayfield does um, and probably has more of a live arm as well. I mean, I like Zach Wilson. I don't want to knock the player at all. It's more just, was there somebody else that I thought might've been a better pick? And, and in this case, I do think somebody else might've been a better pick, but I'm excited to see Zach Wilson under center again, enough athleticism to be functional back there and, and get out of the pocket when necessary. You know, going to do a little more than Sam Darnold did there has the live arm. Um, you know, a guy that is not afraid to challenge in tight windows, possibly to his own detriment. And, you know, I like the fact that he started for a long time in college. That is something that when I evaluate quarterbacks, that is important to me in my process. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Zach Wilson can bring. I just might've gone in a different direction. Yeah. I mean, I really liked what the Jets did. If the Zach Wilson pick pans out, he wouldn't have been my guy. We've had conversations, you know, off air. I personally like Justin Fields more. And I think the upside with Trey Lance might have even been higher. But if he pans out, if he's if he's as good as they think he is, he, heck, even my comparison of I thought he was very comparable to a Tony Romo style player. If that's who he is, the Jets are going to be ecstatic. You know, they're going to be they're, they're going to love it. After that, I really liked a lot of what the Jets did. I love the move back up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. I loved Elijah Moore to start the second pick in the second round. The Michael Carter pick. I really thought. This front office and, and staff knows what they need to do to put Zach Wilson in a situation to be successful. Unlike Which the previous they did not regime, do. yes, exactly. exactly. Yep. Unlike the previous regime, I think they will continue to throw resources on making sure that O line is dominant. Uh, to get to that point, I think Michael Carter is probably step one in the two year process to get the backfield where they want it to be. Uh, and if their were young receivers pan out, then they can maybe afford to have a little bit of a luxury pick and, and maybe think about a running back on day one or most likely day two or in the free agent market. So I, I think I like the process they're going, but it all comes down to Zach Wilson. If he if he's the guy and he works out, you're going to see the Jets franchise start turning around because I think they're putting the other pieces in place. And I think they finally got the, maybe the right front office with the coaching staff blended together that I think they could be on the upswing. So there it is, guys, the AFC East team-by-team breakdown. We are going to keep this moving and go right into the AFC South next. And I'm going to kick it off with the Indianapolis Colts. I got to be honest with you. This was a very lackluster draft. It is going to be hard to fill in some of these categories. At the, their first round pick at pick 21 was Quidi Pay, edge rusher out of Michigan. In round two, uh, defensive end out of Vanderbilt, Dio Odingibo. In round four, it was Kylan Granson, tight end out of Southern Methodist. Round five, it was Sean Davis, safety out of Florida. They did have a very recognizable name in round six, Sam Ellinger, the quarterback out of Texas. It's hard for me to find a favorite pick here. Uh, you know, so I'm going to say this. I think the Quiddy Pay pick is fine. I think it's their best pick because he's a talented player who probably should have went right around where he went. 
But I'm also going to say that to me, it's also their most questionable pick because I thought they had an opportunity to upgrade the offensive line. I know they went the free agent route after the draft and got Eric Fisher, but I thought Christian Dariso would have been a really good pick there. So for me, while he's their, maybe their best pick in terms of talent and, and he was the appropriate range for him, I have question marks about whether or not they should have won offensive line there at that pick. In terms of value picks, I don't really think it's much of a value, but a guy that is a little bit under the radar that I was a fan of in my film analysis before the draft was Kylan Granson, the tight end at a Southern Methodist. I think he can be a move tight end. He's a really got a really good athletic profile that I think he can be used in a variety of ways as an H back as a move tight end. So I like that move. The Colt offense has shown, especially Frank Reich of wanting to have that kind of tight end. So Trey Burden is no longer on the roster right now, obviously. So I, Got Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox, but I think Kylan Granson is a guy that could develop into that move tight end there. So he probably is the guy, even though I don't think it's good value. So maybe he should have been my favorite pick, but he was a guy that I, I'm intrigued by with them. And then I will say late, late in the draft, I think the small school wide receiver, Mike Stratkin, I think has a chance to make that roster really good size, like great size at like six foot five. You know, for a small school prospect, I think there's an opening on that depth chart for maybe a receiver to emerge, you know, to, to be in the top four of that depth chart, let's say, down the line. So he's a guy I keep my eye on. But all in all, I thought it was a very lackluster draft. So I'm interested, Chris, to hear your quick take on it. Did you see it much? Did you see it very differently? Were you high on the, the, the Quiddy Pay pick? Did you think they should have went O line there? Any other thoughts on the Colts? Um, I mean, I like Quiddy Pay as a prospect, so I think that was a pretty good pick. Uh, you know, he went right about where he should have in the draft, and the reality is they lost Justin Houston in the offseason, they lost Denico Autry, so they lost 15 and a half sacks, and I know they have a guy like DeForest Buckner bringing pressure from the inside, but they did need a lot of help on the outside, and, you know, for them to go D-end at the first two picks in the draft, I, you know... You could say it's overkill if you want, but I mean, I like the pay pick. I think he's, you know, a high upside guy. He's going to work and he's got the athletic traits that you want. Um, you know, if he bulks up a little bit, he's the kind of guy that can be a three down defensive end. So I have no issue with that pick. Um, you know, you could argue if you want, obviously that you, um, you know, sh- thought that they should have gone offensive line. And, you know, I don't think anyone's going to call you crazy for that. Um, I don't have a problem with the player or the position that they address though. And, and same thing in round two with, with the Ingbo. I mean, this is a guy, this is a high upside guy. Um, I mean, he's not going to start the season on the field because of his injury. Um, you know, probably will end up on the pup list at the very least and, you know, maybe see some action later in the year. But I mean, what they did was they got their starting defensive ends, kind of like what the bills did when, um, you know, they drafted two defensive ends who are going to be at the very least, um, you know, in heavy rotation players, if not starters next year, Colts did the same thing, but these guys probably just going to be their starters. As long as Odie Ingbo comes back healthy, um, you know, to continue to help them provide pass rush. Um, and, you know, they're still building from the trenches in and out. So I do like what they did there. I mean, the rest of their draft, you know, it was fine. You know, I'm not particularly enamored with it. Um, you know, I, I like their first two picks the most. I mean, Kylan Granson's a good player, but to me they have, and I know Moelle Cox isn't going to be there forever contract-wise, but they already have a kind of move tight end, athletic receiving tight end uh, to complement Jack Doyle on the roster. Uh, but then again, they're probably planning for life after Mo Ali Cox. He's going to move on. Kylan Granson's going to step into that role, and certainly he can fill that role pretty well. You know, Strachan, a big guy, not particularly fast, but you know, could be a red zone threat. Definitely has a chance, as you said, to make the back end of that roster. And you know, if you have a number five, number six receiver, you just throw him in sometimes 
um, you know, on the goal line or in the red zone, like, you know, when you're on the 15 or 20 yard line to throw up a fade, if he can develop into that, I mean, you know, that can be certainly a useful roster piece as a seventh round pick. So, I mean, I thought the Colts had a solid draft. I wouldn't call it outstanding. I wouldn't call it terrible, but I have, I think a bit less of an issue with the pay pick. In your, in your conversations with Tony over the last year, do you think Dio would have been a borderline first round pick or a lock first round pick if there, if he was clean health wise? Uh, lock first round pick, I think is strong. I do think he would have gone earlier in the draft. I think he would have been probably a top 40 pick. Um, you know, just again, that kind of upside with him. I mean, yeah, he's a developmental prospect, um, you know, more so than a guy like pay who's ready to play right away. Even if Odiingbo wasn't hurt right now, I don't know that he's a guy that you could put on the field week one and expect immediate production. Um, but I do think he's a guy that can definitely grow into his body a bit, can grow into a role. And I mean, you know, just the size and athleticism that he that he brings. And, you know, he has been a productive player at the college level as well. So, you know, outside of a clean bill of health, not too much more you could ask for. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, if, if those picks pan out and they get their starting defensive ends for the long haul, then it was obviously, you know, a fantastic, you know, one-two punch there to start that out. And then listen, hindsight they they get Eric Fisher, you know, whatever people might think of him. He's a veteran. He, 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 you know, he was a starting tackle on the Super Bowl team. So, you know, that filled in a little bit of that gap too, that when my initial thoughts on this was who's protecting Carson Wentz. We've seen Carson Wentz really struggle when he's not protected. They have nobody there. What are, What's the plan? So that, so that does change the narrative a little bit, you know, with that hindsight post-draft there as well. So let's say this to the Houston Texans. So the, the AFC South, not off to a strong suit for my takes here and my likes. They did not have a first or second round pick due to the Laramie Tunsil trade. Uh, and I forget what, where the second round went, but their first pick was in round three at pick 67 overall. They took Davis Mills quarterback out of Stanford. Uh, later in the third round, they traded up, giving up future capital uh, from next year as well to take wide receiver out of Michigan, Nico Collins. In round five, they select a tight end out of Miami, Brevin Jordan. They also in round five took Garrett Wallow, linebacker out of TCU. They only had one more pick later in the draft and took a defensive tackle, Roy Lopez. Favorite pick, I'm going to say Brevin Jordan, and I'm also going to tie that into he's also my value pick for them because I I thought Brevin Jordan could have been a day two pick. I thought he should have been a round three guy. I don't think there's this gaping difference in terms of who they were in college to a guy like Irv Smith last year. I like Irv Smith more. I thought he was a little bit better in terms of the nuances and in terms of route running, but I thought you know, stylistically, how they were going to play at the next level, their body types, their frames. I thought Brevin Jordan should have went earlier. I don't know if he's going to get what opportunity he's going to get there now. It's a round five pick, and they've invested a lot of resources at that tight end position. They just keep throwing things at that tight end position. No one is really stuck yet. Uh, But Brevin Jordan, I hope, gets an opportunity there because I did like him on film. I thought it was a good value pick and also my favorite pick. in terms of questionable pick, for me, it's Davis Mills. And for me, this pick makes absolutely no sense because I just don't see the net gain unless he's going to get on the field at some point this year. But he's going to be on maybe, arguably, if not definitively, the worst team in football. He's not going to be successful. No quarterback probably could. No rookie quarterback taken in the third round who needs a lot of development is going to look functional behind this team and even if he looks serviceable 
they're not going to move forward with him as their starter. They're going to be picking in the top, probably the top one, but they're probably, even if you say conservatively, the top five next year, they're going to take a quarterback. I don't think there's anything Davis Mills can do this year that would prevent the Texans next year from not drafting a quarterback unless there's just no quarterback they like at the top of the draft. But there always seems to be a few that teams fall for. So unless Davis Mills prevents them from taking a quarterback next year, for a team with so many holes, I just don't understand the Davis Mills pick. If if they had a clear-cut starter, an aging starter, Listen, I don't mind that Davis Mills went in the third round. Personally, I would have thought he was I thought he was more of an early day three guy, but I mean mid uh pick 67 early, you know, day four, I mean early round four day three, I'm, that's not a big difference especially for a quarterback. But I just don't see the fit here because I don't see the end game. If you take a quarterback in the top of the draft next year, Davis Mills is at best a backup. Like, and if what do you, you're not going to trade him, if you trade him, you're not going to even recoup the third rounder that you cost on him. I mean, I guess if a team really likes him and he shows a little something, maybe you can get a third rounder for him. But then what was the point of it? You could have filled in a starting spot somewhere in that third round. You could have gave up. You could have filled in somewhere a defensive position or something at the O-line, a, a guard or something like that. Or you could have taken Nico Collins there and not had to trade all the way back up into the third round, costing yourself draft capital from next year's draft as well. So a lot I a lot I didn't like about this. It was pretty much Brevin Jordan I liked. Everything else I had a lot of question marks on. Chris, thoughts on the Colts? I mean, Colts. Thoughts on the Texans there? Can you make any more sense of the Davis Mills pick? Anything they did here you a fan of? Um, I mean, I, I agree with you on Brevin Jordan as far as being, you know, the favorite pick and the value pick um, in the fifth round to get an athlete like that, even if he's unrefined as a player, even if, you know, he was not particularly impressive in interviews or the pre-draft process as a whole, um, which is, you know, a big reason why he was falling so far down draft boards. I mean, maybe not to the fifth round. I don't think a lot of people expected that. They thought, oh, you know, fourth round at the latest kind of situation. I mean, definitely a steal for the Texans. Um, it'd be interesting to see again, as you said, like what happens in that tight end room because they've put a lot into that position over the past several years. But I mean, Brevin Jordan's easily the best athlete and probably the highest upside guy in that room. So if he comes in and, and he can take quickly uh, to the playbook and, and things like that, you know, there's, there's a role for him, even if it's just catching screen passes and, and stuff like that to get the ball in his hands, like they did with him at Miami. Um, the Davis Mills pick, I, I agree with you in terms of opportunity cost, um, but I also think that, and I'm not a big Davis Mills fan either. I don't necessarily think I would have taken him early in round three, um, but I can understand, you know, based on value of quarterback and everything else, why he went there. And, you know, I've said a lot of times, and a lot of people say this, like a third round pick for a backup quarterback, if he's a good backup quarterback, is not a bad thing. Um, You know, the third round pick, you know, you can argue that, you know, it's a starter potentially at like, you know, a less important position on the field. Um, you know, say you could get, you know, a third round, a safety or something like that, that starts. Well, you know what? Those safeties get paid, you know, if you're a starting safety in the NFL, four to $6 million a year, what does a good backup quarterback get paid? Six to $8 million a year. Um, and, and I think that is how the NFL works in terms of draft, in terms of money and things like that. So if you get Davis Mills and you think he can be at the very least a good backup, um, you know, with potential upside to be more, which there is certainly upside there. I mean, it's all theoretical, um, you know, he's never really produced on the field. He doesn't process things particularly quickly, but there's some athleticism there. If he 
we're willing to kind of tap into it a little more. Obviously, you know, the arm is very good. One of the top arms in the, in the class, uh, arguably. Um, so, I mean, I can understand taking a shot on him. Um, you know, we were actually talking on, on our show this week that um, the scout said at one point during the season that if Davis Mills played up to his potential, he'd be a top 15 pick. Now, obviously he did not play up to his potential, um, but th- there is a lot of potential there. So maybe the Texans said, you know what? We're getting a potential future backup quarterback if we're terrible again and we pick high, which, you know, they probably have a somewhat realistic expectation that they're not going to be good. But how many teams go into the season as the projected number one overall pick and end up picking eight or six or something like that, where, you know, they're out of range of maybe the top quarterbacks. And and next year's quarterback class doesn't exactly look like it's going to have as many guys at the top as this year's does. So if they aren't, if they win four games and they pick six or seven, then they'd have to trade future capital anyway to move up and draft a quarterback unless we have a bunch of guys break out, uh, you know, a la Zach Wilson this year. So I think they looked at it and said, like, okay, we got a guy that has a ton of upside and we can take him in the third round. And maybe we won't be as completely terrible as everyone thinks because we're an NFL football team and we don't plan on being that terrible. Like they're not actively tanking or anything like that. We still don't know Deshaun Watson's situation. It you know, at this point, it seems surprising if he plays a full season. I'm not going to say that he won't play at all this year. That's possible. But, you know, we can't sit here and say that now. So I understand that they're I understand what they were thinking a little bit from a team perspective. Um, certainly, I understand the opportunity cost angle and, and the fact that, you know, he's kind of in no no man's land a little bit. Like, you know, you're taking a guy with some upside. But, you know, if your team is as bad as it's expected to be, you know, there's not that future role for him. But again, a backup quarterback could be pretty valuable. And if he ends up being a solid backup quarterback. We've seen them have trade value and we've seen them have contract value. So from that perspective, I at least understand the pick, even if I thought he was overdrafted. Yeah. I mean, that that is a good point about the cost of backup quarterbacks. And then, you know, the elephant in the room to Deshaun Watson, if that ever get, gets itself resolved, was he ever going to play for Houston again? If the other stuff gets resolved, those are all lingering questions. And that you, I guess the case can be made that you already alluded to it, that next year's quarterback class is, is debatable, right? I mean, I think, I think next year's college football season can either sway it to be a good class, a really weak class, you know, or somewhere in between there. I don't think it's going to be a great class like this year, but I think it's, it's up for debate in terms of what that, but they can look at their roster a year from now and say, you know what? This isn't the right environment yet for a rookie quarterback. And maybe they go the veteran route again, or maybe they give Davis Mills one year, right? So I guess there are some scenarios where they could just say, we're not ready for the rookie quarterback. Maybe they don't love the quarterback, or maybe they just feel like it's not the right environment yet for the, that, you know, for a new quarterback like that. And like, you know, I guess the argument can be made is if at some point they do trade Deshaun Watson, do they get a quarterback back that they like? So I guess there's a couple different avenues, you know, that could adjust future, you know, their future needs in terms of whether or not next year they are looking at a quarterback definitively or not. So let's take this to Jacksonville. They obviously started the draft on opening night there with round one, taking Trevor Lawrence, quarterback out of Clemson, the the most no-brainer pick. Literally, we knew for months and months he was the guy. Later in round one of pick 25, they take his teammate, Travis Ethian, running back out of Clemson, to start round two, pick 33 overall. They take Tyson Campbell, the cornerback out of Georgia. Also in round two, they take at pick 45, Walker Little, offensive tackle, 
out of Stanford in round three. They take Andre Sisco, safety out of Syracuse in round four. Uh, defensive tackle out of USC, Jay Tufeli. And then round four, Jordan Smith, edge rusher out of Alabama, Birmingham. And then in the fifth round, blocking tight end, Luke Farrell out of Ohio State. Obviously, best favorite pick has to be Trevor Lawrence. You know, the clear top quarterback in this class, as much as I like Justin Field and some of the other guys, I thought Trey Lance was easily the top guy. I think he's the best quarterback I've scouted since I've been doing Saturday to Sunday. He's a total package. He's got more athleticism than people even, I think, realize in terms of the casual fan. I think that's going to catch some people off guard when they watch him play next year. So he's got the arm talent. I want to see him handle pressure a little bit better, but I think he's going to figure that out. And I think he's going to be a high-level quarterback prospect sooner rather than later. So the the clear no-brainer about it. I think after that, the draft got a little bit shaky, to be honest with you. I think in terms of questionable picks, I would say their next two picks, I think you can both kind of group them together. I The Tyson Campbell pick, he he fits the prototype of what you want a shutdown corner to be, but I have some questions and reservations about does he put it all together and ever get there. And so I thought there might have been guys who were a little bit more polished and a little bit more of a certainty as much as you could get, but Obviously, we know every pick is, you know, is a crapshoot. I thought this was a little bit more uncertainty with Campbell, and there were a little bit safer picks with with upside, maybe not as much upside, but still pretty significant upsides at the cornerback position. I think they could have pivoted, and I think they could have pivoted to a different position. Right? They take they took C.J. Henderson last year. I, I get it. You always need more cornerbacks, so I'm never going to really hate on that. It's just more. I have some reservations about the player. Uh, less so about the position, but I could see someone making that argument about the position. And then Travis Etienne, it's not so much that they invested in him and were they a running back away. It's the narrative that's came out since Urban Meyer coming out and saying he was heartbroken and devastated. They couldn't get Kadarius Tony. And then they pivoted to Etienne where it sounds like they're going to try to have him play this Kadarius Tony, you know, Percy Harvin type role. I, I just, you're, you're, I think he's outsmarting himself here, right? It's like in college, you can take an all-world athlete and you can put him in any position you want at Ohio State or at Florida, or, you know, all the other places, you know, that have elite programs with elite athletes and you can be successful by basically putting that athlete almost anywhere. In the NFL, it's very different. Travis Etienne is a great running back prospect or a very good running back prospect. This was a guy that a year plus ago was uncomfortable even catching the football, and he's made great strides in that. But to, to say you're going to bring him in, he's now going to be this, you know, Percy Harvin, Kadarius Tony style role. I'm just not sure. Like you're just assuming he can do it, and I, I think it's a little bit risky. Now maybe it's all coach speaking. By the time opening day rolls around, he's their starting tailback, or you know, being used predominantly in that way, and then just a little bit of catching passes out of the backfield, and then. I have less of an issue with it, even though I think they should have pivoted to a different position that was more of a need, you know, than just a running back. But if they try to pigeonhole him into something else, I just don't get it. To be honest with you, I think they should have probably taken a corner at 25, 
who I liked more than Campbell. And then if they really wanted somebody for that Kadarius Tony role, why not take a guy like Rondo Moore to start the second round? I, I would have personally liked that duo, a different quarterback, uh, 25, and then a, a guy like Rondo Moore at pick 33. But that, that was some question. In terms of best value, I'm going to go with Walker Little uh, because there was once upon a time that he was looked at as a as a top 10 or top 15 type player if he without the medicals. So if the medicals ever get clean, can he get back to that? You could also say he's a questionable pick because, you know, if, if that derails his career, uh, you know, then obviously it's going to be a wasted pick. But I do think there's some value there. Maybe not so much in terms of pick 45. I think that was, I don't think anybody thought he was going to go much higher than that. But if he reverts back to what people were thinking about him earlier in his collegiate career, he could have that pick could have a lot of value in it. Chris, thoughts on Jacksonville? My thoughts about Campbell and Ethan, if you want to chime in on that or anything about Walker Little or anything else about them. Oh, well, I mean, you know, starting at the top, you said it all about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this guy is. He is everything you want your number one quarterback to be in terms of a guy you take number one overall. Um, you know, a lot of guys go at that spot, but most of them aren't the best overall prospect in the class. They're just the top quarterback in the class. And and you could say in this class, Trevor Lawrence was the top prospect um, and he's the top quarterback. So, I mean, just, you know, a home run and, you know, the Jets losing games at the end of last season was heartbreaking for, for all those, or the Jets winning games, I should say, at the end of last season it was just heartbreaking for, for all those reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on the ETN stuff. Um, yeah, I, I hope it's just coach speak. Cause otherwise if they're actually going to try to do that, I don't get it. Um, you know, I, I understand, you know, that I understand why they drafted a running back early. I mean, yeah, James Robinson is great, but they didn't invest a lot in him. And we talk all the time about draft capital and, and it being important. And in this situation, you know, it, it proved to be true, but Travis, Etienne's a running back first. He's not a receiver. He's not even a guy, you know, like you said, he wasn't even comfortable two years ago catching passes. Now he has made tremendous strides as a receiver and he's a game breaker. You get him the ball on a short pass and he could take it all the way, but he could do that on a running play too. Uh, to me, he's a running back who, you know, can catch passes at a decent clip. Um, he's not a slash. He's not a wide receiver. He's not someone you're going to line up in the slot and ask to run routes or anything like that. So that, that was kind of curious. You know, like, you know, like you said, they could have gone Rondell Moore a little later and they could have gotten Greg Newsom, who went a pick later to the Browns, um, you know, at number 25. I don't dislike the Tyson Campbell pick, though. I think, as you said, I think there's a lot of upside in Campbell. And the reality is they don't really need him to be a shutdown guy because they have C.J. Henderson there. Uh, they're just looking for another long term corner. And they also brought in Shaq Griffin in the offseason. So, I mean, this is a secondary now that there's not a lot of pressure on Tyson Campbell to be more than the nickelback early on. You know, if he can develop into more than that, I mean, that's an outstanding trio of corners right there. I know Shaq Griffin's, you know, 2020 campaign wasn't, you know, quite what his 2019 or even 2018 was, but he's still a good player. Um, so, you know, you really fortify that secondary. I'm 100% with you on Walker Little, though. Um, you know, I prefer him. We talked about Liam Eichenberg earlier in the show. Give me Walker Little three picks later. Um, I just think the upside that he provides as a guy that, yeah, a lot of people were talking about as a potential top 10 pick. Then he got hurt in 2019. Then he opted out last year. So hasn't played meaningful football in two years, but you know, you get a full round discount on a guy that could be a franchise type of left tackle. Um, Those guys don't fall outside of the top 10 very often, let alone the top 25, let alone the top 40. Uh, So if you want to talk about value, yeah, people weren't going to be taking him too much higher because of the injury, because of the opt out. But I mean, that's a screaming value. And, And really the risk is kind of mitigated when you kind of look at that situation and you say, you know what? If he pans out, that's a complete home run. And you could argue that they got 
the second best tackle in the class and the top quarterback at very important positions, positions of need, positions that teams are constantly trying to fill. Um, you know, sign me up for that all day. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on the Walker Little stuff, as I talked about before. So let's round out the ASC South with the Tennessee Titans. They started in round one of pick 22 with Caleb Farley, the cornerback out of Virginia Tech. And I'll just say this about Farley before I'll go through the rest of the draft. You can make board. He's my favorite because of how good of a prospect he is. My value pick, because if he was completely healthy, he would have been right there in the mix with you know, pick eight, pick nine, where J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan went. And at the same time, questionable because, you know, you can make case that back injuries might be the most, uh, you know, based on how far medical science has come with the leg injuries, right? ACLs are not what it used to be. And, you know, Achilles tendon still, you know, the ruptured Achilles seem to still be recognized as the worst injury you can get. Back injuries, you never really feel ever hear somebody say, yeah, my back's not an issue anymore, right? In in all sports. It's not even just football. So that is definitely good point. I, I I know people that have had back issues and once they started, it, it's never been the same. It's never improved. They just find a way to manage it and they're constantly dealing with it. So Farley is really intriguing because he could really fit the bill for any of those value, favored pick and questionable pick because there's so many ways that can go. In round two, they took Dylan Redunds, offensive tackle out of North Dakota State. Round three, Monty Rice, linebacker out of Georgia. Also in round three, Elijah Molden, cornerback out of Washington. Round four, Des Fitzpatrick, wide receiver out of Louisville. Also in round four, Rashad Weaver, defensive end out of Pittsburgh. My favorite pick, I think, from this group is Des Fitzpatrick. And I know a lot of people didn't really, you know, have him on their radar, but this is a guy at Saturday Sunday that Matt and I have been talking about for years. And we really liked him since his redshirt freshman year when he was Lamar Jackson's best receiver, maybe not his most productive, but he was his best receiver that year. And then Louisville really struggled with their quarterback play, their offense in the year since. But I think there's a lot to like about Des Fitzpatrick's game, inside, outside versatility. He's a guy that really intrigues me. I I was worried that he wasn't going to have any draft capital. Like I literally thought he could have went undrafted or been a sixth or seventh round guy. So for them to invest him in the round four, you know, makes me feel like he's going to get a real opportunity. And I'm intrigued to see that. I know Greg Cosell, someone I respect his opinion a lot. He really likes Fitzpatrick. He, he comped him to, again, not, I've said this before on air. I'll say it again, though, for people so you know they don't drive off the road. He comped them to Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams, what he thought of Devontae Adams as a prospect coming out of Fresno State. Nobody saw Devontae Adams becoming this. But but I, I, I could see and understand the, the similarities between the inside outside versatility, the body type, the frame. That's what Patrick's an intriguing guy there. That depth chart is wide open. So I'm excited to see. Uh, after A.J. Brown, if Des Fitzpatrick gets an opportunity there. Value pick, Elijah Molden. If he would have went late second round, I don't think it would have been crazy. He's that cornerback, safety, you know, nickel, whatever you want to use him at. He's a very versatile player in the back half of your defense. I think teams are looking for versatility in their defensive backs. I think the days of strong safety and free safety are almost completely gone now. And I think we're starting to get to the point where – you know, in five years from now, I think the the line between a cornerback and a safety is even going to be a little bit more blended together. You know, just just the way teams are so, you know, uh, the way they change up defensive looks and they're so versatile on defense with their schemes. I think those positions. So I think a guy who can 
play a role of a safety, play a role of a nickel, play a role of a cornerback. Molden is intriguing. In terms of questionable pick, I mean, we talked about Farley could be that just because of the injury concerns. Monday Wrights, I thought was okay. You know, maybe there would have been another linebacker I would have, I would have, you know, like selected instead of him there, but I don't really have much issue with that pick. I think probably the most questionable is whether or not, you know, Farley pans out due to the medicals. Chris, any quick thoughts on Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, for me, Farley is the questionable pick, without a doubt. Um, No question in my mind, um, simply because, let's put it this way. Elijah Molden went 78 picks later. If you combined Caleb Farley's size, speed, just his athletic traits, and Elijah Molden's football ability, you have a top five cornerback. Um, But the reality is Elijah Molden is not big. He's not fast. And you know what? Caleb Farley... I'm not going to say he's not good at football because that's really strong, but he has been extremely up and down through his entire career. And then he opted out last year. I think this, I think this is the kind of pick where if he came into the 2020 season and played and played well and kind of improved that consistency, he would be deserving of this pick maybe a little higher, but he didn't do that. So the last tape we have on Caleb Farley is extreme inconsistency. And then you mentioned the back issues. I mean, you know, as you said, with medical, like you can fix an ACL, it's a ligament. You can fix, um, you know, an Achilles, you can have surgery on it. It's like a back is not a ligament. A back is like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to get super technical here, but you have back surgery. It's just way different than just repairing and torn knee ligament or, or broken bone or something like that. Those, those, those things can be fixed. I don't really think back injuries can be fixed. I mean, I had back problems when I was like 17. I still have back problems here and there. Like it's never fully gone away. You just, as you said, you just learn to manage it. And when I stopped playing three sports, I was able to manage it better. Well, you know, Caleb Farley's not stopping his athletic career anytime soon. So, you know, I, I'm definitely concerned with that pick. Uh, the Titans are kind of used to risk. I mean, they took Isaiah Wilson last year. You can also argue that the Rashad Weaver pick's a bit questionable considering what came out after the draft and them saying that they didn't know anything about it with, um, you know, the whole assault charge and everything else. And, you know, they didn't know anything about it. Well, you know, how could you not know about it? Are you not doing your homework? Um, you know, what exactly is going on there? Uh, so that, that could be questionable too. Uh, for me, I I'm intrigued. I, I like the Elijah Molden pick as well. He's just a good football player. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll find a place for a guy like that on your team, whether he's big, whether he's fast, I don't think it matters that much. I just think he's good at football. Um, Dylan Raiden's, I thought was an interesting pick. We actually interviewed him on our podcast. Really good interview. Um, you know, just a guy that knows exactly what he wants and what's going on. And, and he's versatile. He can play, you know, you could argue he could play all five positions on the offensive line. They really used him in a lot of spots along the line uh, during the senior bowl week. Um, you know, I'm really intrigued by what Dylan Radens brings to the table. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a nice pick for, for Tennessee as well. Yeah. So, It'd be interesting. Their their draft is going to be make or break by the Farley pick. And it's somewhat intriguing that after the disaster last year, obviously different reasons potentially with Farley. It is interesting that they didn't maybe go a little bit of a safer route in round one to make sure like they didn't go like 0 for 2, two years in a row. We're not getting anything out of their first round pick. So, you know, they're willing to take the risk and hope that it pans out and, you know, he becomes that high-level quarterback prospect that some people think he could be. So why don't you take it right into the AFC North and get it going? All right, and let's see if uh, I can get the alphabetical order <laughs> correct here. I'm going to start with the uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I think B is a pretty good place to start in the alphabet. Um, they did have two first-round picks in the draft. Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman at 27. And 
Penn State defensive end, edge rusher, whatever you want to call it, Jason Owe. No picks in the second round, but two in the third. Georgia offensive lineman Ben Cleveland and SMU corner Brandon Stevens. In the fourth round, they went with Oklahoma State wide receiver Tylen Wallace. And then in the fifth round, three picks actually rounded out their draft. First team we've actually mentioned all of their draft picks here. Uh, Ohio State cornerback Sean Wade, Notre Dame defensive lineman Dalen Hayes, and Michigan fullback Ben Mason. For me, my favorite pick here for Baltimore has to be Rashad Bateman. We're going to start at the top here because, I mean, you know, if Bateman doesn't have his 2020 season kind of curtailed by COVID and, you know, moving around positions and just a lot of things were going on in the Big Ten, a lot of things were going on at Minnesota, um, you know, I, I think he goes 10 picks earlier. Um, you know, if he repeats his 2019 campaign and has a full season, I mean, obviously you could say that probably about a lot of guys, but I mean, I think Bateman, yeah, he's not the biggest guy. Maybe he's not the fastest guy, but he does everything very well. Um, I'm a big fan of Rashad Bateman's game. I think he can get down the field. I think you can use him intermediately. I think he's immediately Baltimore's best receiver. And I like Marquise Brown a lot. Um, maybe, maybe I should say he's their most complete receiver. I do think he's also their best, but you know, more complete is probably a better way to even describe it. I know he's a guy that should come in and, and just be Lamar Jackson's number one target from the start, at least among the wide receivers. Obviously Mark Andrews uh, is still there and, until they get a contract extension done with him. But that would, I'd say that would be my favorite pick. You know, just a guy that comes out as good value too. I'm not going to call him my value pick here because my value pick, is at the same position as Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. Another guy, not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but he's just a good football player. I mean, he's maybe a bit small for a guy that you think is going to win out in contested situations, but he does just that. Um, you know, he's extremely productive at Oklahoma State. And I mean, granted, the Big 12 is an offensive haven. We've always known that. But to me, Tylen Wallace was a late second, early third round type of prospect. So to get him in the fourth round, I think was absolute stealing by the Ravens, who now have you know a pretty interesting wide receiver core with those two guys, Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin from a couple of years ago, Devin Duvernay from last year. You know, they've invested a lot into that wide receiver position, which makes you think they're going to throw the ball a little bit more. I mean, they've talked about opening up the offense after the draft. And I mean, they've talked about it. And, you know, a lot of times things are front office speak or coach speak, but they've actually invested so much in the receiver position that is very believable that they do want to open up the offense, especially now that they cut out a running back. They just have J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins can play in the pass game. So it makes a lot of sense based on their roster, based on what they've invested in over the past couple of years in the draft that they do open the, up the offense. I hope they do, because if they do, a lot of these guys could really impress for me. Questionable pick. Brandon Stevens, quarterback out of SMU. Uh, I did not expect him to go anywhere near the third round. I mean, he's a good football player. I mean, the Ravens don't often draft guys who can't play the game, but, um, you know, he just doesn't stand out in enough ways in terms of um, athletic ability, in terms of size. I mean, it's it's a question whether he's a corner or is a safety. As you said, the lines are kind of blending a bit more now, but, you know, the lines are very blended already with Brandon Stevens. I thought he was more of like a sixth round prospect maybe fifth round at the earliest so to see him go in the third round was kind of shocking to me um you know i don't love that pick um do want to note here that sean wade going in the fifth round you could argue it's a value pick i i argue that's where he should have gone i mean you know people talked about him being a, a lock first rounder heading into the season i've said that before obviously that was dead wrong because he played like complete trash this past season i think the fifth round is about the right place to to take a guy like that who kind of looked like he didn't want to play football this season and maybe he actually didn't with everything that was going on um but and i think he probably warranted like a fourth round pick but getting him in the fifth i think is pretty solid value yeah i mean listen the ravens every year feel like we can you know rinse repeat you know wash the same thing they have a strong draft for the most part they have a lot of good value picks 
I'm so fascinated with the wide receivers like you talked about because all we've heard about is wide receivers go there and they're never going to live up the potential and they're not going to do this and they're not going to do that. And listen, when we spin it to fantasy, there is a, a real level of concern because we just don't know. Like, you know, in a league that is so pass happy, you know, when you're talking about investing in the receiver, you know, from the Ravens offense, you just don't know how hit or miss it's going to be in terms of opportunities and targets. But I think the same, I think the flip side argument can be made. Well, you know, maybe since Lamar Jackson's been there, the receiving group has just been, eh, it's been suspect. And Marquise Brown, where I still kind of, you know, leave the light on for him in terms of I think he can be a better player than he's shown. They haven't had a player like Rashad Bateman, a complete player, a guy with size, a guy with route running capabilities, a guy who can win after the catch, a guy who's got good play strength, you know, nuance to his game. They they haven't had a guy like that. So I think it's easy to say, oh, no wide receiver can be successful there. But maybe the wide receivers that they've had just haven't been able to be successful there. So I, I think there's an opportunity for Bateman. And I was a fan of Tylen Wallace. And he went and he fell around four. And, you know, I don't know what, if he's going to get much of an opportunity there because they've invested a lot of, you know, resources in the draft from Devin Duvernay to Miles Boykin to Marquise Brown to, you know, Bateman then. You know, and obviously we know Mark Andrews is going to be a relevant part, and J.K. Dobbins can be a good pass catcher in a backfield. So I don't know if he's going to get an opportunity, but I think it's a strong value pick, and they're obviously looking to upgrade that receiver position. And in a perfect world, I, you know, I think they probably would love it to be Bateman, you know, Marquise Brown, and you know, and Tylen Wallace, and and then Duvernay maybe used in that, you know chess piece type role. I think those, when you look at their paper, might be their most talented, you know, offensive players who can be used in that capacity in, you know, as receivers. So interesting to see kind of what they do there. So keep it going in the AFC North. All right, we'll move to the Cincinnati Bengals, who at number five overall passed up a chance to fortify the offensive line with Panay Suell and reunited Joe Burrow with his college receiver, Jamar Chase, at number five in round two. Clemson offensive tackle Jackson Carmen was the pick in round three. Joseph Asai, the edge rusher out of Texas at number 69. A trio of fourth-round picks, Tulane defensive end Cam Sample, LSU defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin, and East Carolina offensive lineman DeAnte Smith. And then in round five, a kicker, first kicker selected, Florida kicker Evan McPherson. Uh, for me, my favorite pick here, I mean, it has to be Jamar Chase. I mean, yeah, it's kind of boring to, to take the top guy every time when you're talking about favorite picks. But, I mean, this guy is, you know, he's got the ceiling to be the best receiver in the league if he wants to be. I mean, there's nothing that he does not do on the football field. There's nothing that he didn't do in terms of what he produced in 2019. I don't even care that he opted out in 2020. Saw everything we needed to see. And he's reunited with the quarterback that he was able to do all of that with. You know, he's an elite athlete. Um, there are pretty much no holes to poke in Jamar Chase outside of, oh, he opted out in 2020. Well, you know what? I'm not too worried about that. He's immediately the best receiver on this team. Uh, him, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd to throw the ball to. Um, you know, if Joe Burrow can can stay up, uh, which, you know, they made some marginal improvements to the offensive line in the offseason. Certainly, Penny Sua would have been, you know, a good addition in his own right. Maybe you can argue that was a bigger need for them. But, you know, it's hard to to take a guy that could be the best receiver in the league and, and knock it and say it was a bad pick at number five overall. You're not going to hear me doing that, at least. Uh, the value, I would say, would be Joseph Asai. At number 69, I mean, this is a guy who was an off-ball linebacker earlier in his career, kind of made the transition to the edge, was very productive very quickly when he did that. I'm not really sure why he fell out of the second round because a pass rusher with traits like that and also has shown the versatility to be an off-ball linebacker. He played pretty well 
uh, when he was an off-ball linebacker for Texas. So even if he fails as an edge rusher, you have that kind of backdrop. You have that secondary option where he can possibly play off ball. So I, I thought that was an excellent value pick in terms of the upside it brings and also a certain level of floor because of his versatility. Um, you know, I think he you could have argued that he would have been their second round pick and maybe Jackson Carmen would be their third round pick, which kind of transitions me to the questionable pick, which is Jackson Carmen. I don't think anybody expected him to go in round two, but Bengals take him there. You know, he's just kind of you know, he's a small area type of guy. I mean, I talked about Liam Eikenberg as the questionable pick for Miami earlier in the show. Uh, Carmen went four picks later. I'd argue that's even more questionable of a pick, you know, a good college player, a solid player, but not a guy I would take in round two. Uh, it just doesn't have that level of upside. Might have to kick inside to guard at the next level, in which case, you know, he has to be an even better guard than he has to be as, as a tackle to justify that selection. I mean, I think if you swap aside in him, then you're kind of at the right point in terms of value. But, you know, taking him at 46, I think was a reach. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think in the long run, it's always going to be about should they have invested more in the offensive line? Should it have been Panay Sewell and not, you know, Jamar Chase? They could have went wide receiver in round two and got a guy like Terrace Marshall if they really wanted a third weapon there. And I get that. But I think Jamar Chase has a chance to be a really special player. And I think, you know, if the offensive line doesn't just have some natural growth this year, you know, obviously they're getting back their first round pick last year from the O-line who, who didn't play last year. So it'd be interesting to see how much that helps the O-line out. But I think Chase was still the right pick, that natural chemistry that he could have. And if he's an all-world receiver, you know, you got to believe that they're going to at some point fix the O-line situation. I think it was a tough decision and, you know, they ended up getting Burrow as guy. I don't blame them. I applaud them for... I think on just based on pure talent, Chase was one of the most talented players in this class. And so it wasn't that far behind them. But if you stick just solely to your big board, I think most people had Chase ranked ahead of Sewell. You know, I think while I like Sewell, I don't think he's a slam dunk, can't miss offensive line prospect. He's got all the natural tools. He's still got to put together. And we've seen guys with all natural tools struggle at offensive line at time. I don't see a scenario where Chase isn't a really good wide receiver. Like, so to me, there's a little bit more risk anyway with Sewell. So then for all those reasons, I, I keep coming back. I think they made the right pick there, even though some questioned it and said, we need to protect Joe Burrow and they do. And if for some reason he's still not protected this year, then they're going to have to go all in next year, free agency again, multiple early round draft picks, you know, and just continue to keep growing resources at that. So keep it going, Chris, next team up. Yeah, and, and before we go to Cleveland, I want to kind of piggyback off what you were saying there. I mean, there's a Penny Sewell in every single draft class. You know, he is kind of on par with the top tackle or the second best tackle in, in most draft classes, right? Whereas Jamar Chase, uh, there's not a Jamar Chase in every draft class. I mean, you can make the argument very easily, and I would make this argument that, you know, there hasn't been a Jamar Chase level wide receiver since Julio Jones. Um, you know, there have been guys that have come in and been extremely productive, but just in terms of as a prospect being worthy of that kind of high pick and what they could bring, um, you know, there's, there's not a Jamar chase in every class. So that kind of, you know, backs what you're saying in terms of, you know, you take the special prospect rather than the really good prospect, you know, in terms of a guy that maybe you need a little bit more, but it's not like wide receiver wasn't any, it's not like there's no place for Jamar chase in Cincinnati. Um, but unless you want to add anything, I will move on to the Cleveland Browns here who in the first round drafted Northwestern cornerback, Greg Newsom at number 26 overall, then, in the second round, they stole Notre Dame linebacker Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa at pick 52. In round three, Anthony Schwartz, wide receiver out of Auburn, was the selection at 91. Two fourth-round picks, Cincinnati offensive tackle James Hudson and Ohio State defensive tackle Tommy Togiai. 
And then in round five, two selections, West Virginia linebacker Tony Fields at 153 and Georgia safety Richard LeCount at pick 169. Um, favorite pick here for me, I'm going to go with Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa. Um, you know, a guy that, yeah, he's small. You know, you could argue that maybe he's not even 220 in terms of his playing weight, you know, more safety size, but he's a really good athlete and he can cover. I mean, he is the, you know, modern day NFL linebacker, even if he's a little smaller than maybe the Roquan Smiths or, you know, the Devin Bush types, um, you know, guys who have been considered smaller linebackers that have come out in recent years. But Owosu-Koromoa, He's just a very talented player. Again, a three down player. And, and to get him at pick 52, I know there were some uh, injury concerns and, you know, he didn't run. Uh, so scouts didn't really know his speed after he kind of bulked up to, to get to even 220 to bulk up to get there. So, you know, there were some questions and that's why he fell. But all that did was make him a screaming value pick. Um, you know, he, he could have been my selection for value pick as well. But I'm going to kind of pivot off of that and go to James Hudson as my value pick offensive tackle out of Cincinnati. Um you know, this is a guy with plenty of size to stick at left tackle, plenty of athleticism. And, you know, he was pretty good for Cincinnati. It's not like he's all traits. Um, you know, his interview processes leading up to the draft didn't go particularly well. Um, so, you know, kind of in the case like we talked about with Brevin Jordan, that kind of knocked him down a little bit. I mean, this is a guy that could have gone late on, not late on day two, late in the second round, um, you know, in terms of just his talent. Uh, so I, I think that was a really good value pick for the Browns. Low risk getting him in the fourth round, but you know, anytime you can get a tackle that can be, you know, an average starter, maybe a slightly below average starter in the fourth round. I mean, you sign up for that all day. Uh, my questionable pick is Anthony Schwartz, the wide receiver out of Auburn. I mean, yes, there is speed that was needed for this team um, in terms of the wide receiver core. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones is a good player, but he's not like that prototypical speed guy. But, you know, like you mentioned before with the Bills taking Marquez Stevenson in round six, I mean, is Marquez Stevenson three rounds worse than Anthony Schwartz? No, he's not. Um, you know, it's not, he's not that much. His, his speed, it's not like Anthony Schwartz is that much faster than Stevenson. He's faster, but he's not that much faster. Was he more productive? No. Does he have more body of work? No. Um, you know, he played at Auburn, sure, compared to Houston. But, I mean, to me, what's the difference there? That's just using one example. But, you know, there were guys you could have gotten later on. You could have addressed other needs with that pick. I don't dislike Anthony Schwartz as a prospect. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy that he went over Seth Williams just because of the tactical value that he could bring, even though Williams was the better player in college, maybe not as much this year. Uh, kind of had a, you know, fell off a bit in 2020, which is probably why he fell in the draft. But, you know, to me, that was the questionable selection for Cleveland, who overall I really like what the Browns did. You know, I like the Newsom pick at the top of the draft. I like getting LeCount in round five. Again, another, just a good football player. Tommy Togiai in round four is good value. Um, so, I mean, they did a lot of good things in terms of, uh, you know, getting value and, and filling some needs. Um, but I, I do think that Schwartz pick probably could have gone in a different direction. Yeah, I agree with you on the Schwartz thing. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do there because, you know, they, they're trying to get that guy who can really stretch the defenses vertically. And we don't know if that, is ever going to be Odell Beckham anymore, you know, or any type of consistency. And who knows if Odell's even there for the long haul. So they, they want that kind of guy there. So, you know, it, could they have waited and taken him later or, or pivoted to a guy like Marcus Stevenson? You know, we don't know, but I think that's nitpicking overall. I like their draft. I like their top two picks a lot. I, I, I like, uh, to guy in the fourth round. So I thought they had another strong draft. The Browns continue to seem like a team that is moving, you know, upward in their trajectory. So keep this going. Next team up. All right. And that team is the Pittsburgh Steelers who drafted at number 24 overall and selected Alabama running back Najee Harris. 
Then in the second round, Penn State tight end Pat Fryermuth was the selection in round three. Illinois offensive lineman Kendrick Green at pick 87. Two picks in the fourth round, both out of Texas A&M. Offensive tackle Dan Moore and linebacker Buddy Johnson. And then Wisconsin defensive end Isaiah Loudermilk at one pick at pick 156 in round five. For me, favorite pick, Najee Harris. Listen, I know the Steelers have offensive line problems. Um, I know that's something that needed to be addressed at some point in the draft. They were one pick away from getting Christian Darisaw, which would have been very interesting. I'm not even sure they would have gone in that direction because they were kind of always just hyper-focused on Najee Harris based on reports, just based on everything that you heard. I mean, this was probably the most predictable pick of the first round. Uh, You know, he lands in a situation where he's going to get a heavy workload. He can handle that workload. Um, You know, we talk about using Travis Etienne in a slash type of role in Jacksonville. I mean, Najee Harris is a better player in the passing game, not only as a receiver, but also as a pass blocker. Um, You know, he is easily the most complete back in this class. I know Paul and I are very lockstep on that. You know, maybe he doesn't have like, you know, that top five running back type of upside, but you know, he went at pick 24. He went late in the first round. You don't need a top five running back um, in terms of what he can bring, but you know, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, he's got the receiving capabilities, can play on all three downs, can bang inside, can run outside can jump over defenders as he has shown many a time. So certainly my favorite pick, for Pittsburgh is Najee Harris. In terms of value, it's tough to find a pick that screams value. I mean, I guess you could look at Pat Fryermuth going 55 and say, you know, he could have been maybe a pick earlier in the second round or in the middle of the second round. Um, You know, this is a guy that could be a top half starter uh, at the tight end position in the NFL. Certainly has value. Um, You know, he's not a superlative athlete. Certainly is not in the same stratosphere as a guy like Kyle Pitts or anything like that, but he was easily the number two tight end in this class. I think getting him at 55 was pretty good value. Um, Then the questionable pick, I mean, these guys are definitely Steelers types of players in terms of, um, you know, they're, they're maulers. They're guys that, you know, can play well in the run game and the Steelers did need to go offensive line. I thought Kendrick Green going in the third round was a little bit early. Um, Dan Moore, you could argue, is pretty good value. He showed out well at the Senior Bowl. So I'm not going to go with them as my questionable picks just because they filled a need. Buddy Johnson at pick 140, though, um, I don't really see why he was a fourth-round pick. I thought he would be more of a fifth- or sixth-round guy as a smaller linebacker, um, you know, decent in pursuit. But I don't necessarily view him as a guy that's going to be a starter down the line. And when you do have some other needs that, you know, they were able to address, certainly, and they needed some depth at linebacker, but I think Buddy Johnson probably should have been a fifth or sixth round pick. So seeing him go in round four, even towards the very back end of round four, which is where he went, I thought that was probably their questionable pick here. But if anything, you know, the fact that I'm nitpicking a, uh, a late fourth round pick as, as the questionable part shows that the Steelers actually had a pretty decent draft, even though there's definitely nothing sexy about it. Yeah. Listen, the Najee Harris to Pittsburgh was the most, you know, besides Trevor Lawrence to to Jacksonville and Zach Wilson to the Jets. I mean, I don't know if there was a less surprising pick in round one than Najee Harris to Pittsburgh, right? We knew that Fryermuth is a nice player. I actually think Fryermuth is being a little bit under respected in terms of his upside, you know. The Heath Miller comparison has been thrown out a lot. Maybe it's just because he was drafted by Pittsburgh, but I think he's got a much higher athletic profile than Heath Miller in terms of his upside. So like I, I come to a guy like Hunter Henry. I think there's a little bit more, you know, I think the Gronk stuff was crazy talk, but I do think, I do think there's a little bit more there in terms of pass catching upside than what Heath Miller was, who was a very reliable tight end, but he was much more, you know, very short, you know, catch the pass, reliable hands, you know, great blocker, fall down. Like, you know, I think, I think, Frymuth is someone who can attack the seam, who can win at the catch point, 
use that body control and, you know, uh, size and frame to his advantage and, and make some big plays. So I do like the pick there a little bit. I think they should have, you know, the questions are the offensive line. Should they have invested more resources in it? Should they have invested resources earlier in it? I think that is a fair and legitimate question and will be the determining factor. Their old line will be the determining factor in terms of what Pittsburgh is this year. Can they create opportunities for Najee Harris? Can they keep Ben Roethlisberger upright? Those are to be determined. So there it is, guys. All four teams in the AFC North. Let's keep this going and close out the night with the AFC West. I'll kick it off with the Denver Broncos in round one. Pick nine, Patrick Sertan, cornerback out of Alabama. Round two, they trade up Javante Williams, running back out of North Carolina. In round three, they take center from Wisconsin Whitewater, the senior bowl sensation, Quinn Myers. In round three, they also take Baron Browning, linebacker out of Ohio State. In round five, Caden Stern, safety out of Texas. Also in round five, Jamar Johnson, safety out of Indiana. And I will just mention, because of the name brand, in round six, they take Seth Williams, wide receiver, out of Auburn. Interesting draft for the Broncos because I love Patrick Sertan, the player. I think he is a fantastic player. I think he could be a high-level cornerback. My concerns about it, though, are... And I guess I'm going to use this right off the top as, as the questionable portion of it. As much as I like Patrick Sertan, I just don't see how they don't look at a guy like Justin Fields and say he could be the missing piece to our offensive puzzle, right? We have all these receivers and we need an upgrade at the quarterback position. Drew Locke does not seem like he's the answer. I would have loved if they were a little bit more aggressive to try to upgrade the quarterback position. So it's not taking anything away about Sertan. He, that's where he should have went off the board. I just think I just think I would have – the question to pass on Justin Fields is going to come back and haunt them if he's an elite-level quarterback prospect who the Bears traded up for a couple picks later. So that's that part of it. In terms of value pick, I look when mine is at a – you know, I thought he was going round two. So the fact that he fell all the way to pick 98, I think they got a starting offensive lineman, whether it's at guard or center, you know, whether it's this year or, or second year, I think he's a starting caliber player. And, you know, they got him well, well into round three there, pick 98 overall. You know, my favorite pick, I do like Javante Williams. And, you know, they didn't take him in the first round. Yeah, they moved up in the second round. But to me, there was a a teardrop after him before you got to guys like Michael Carter, you know, Kenneth Gainwell, you know, I thought Javante Williams could have been closer to Najee Harris and Travis Ethian than he was to the next group down. So I, I, the whole time pre-draft, I kind of had him in his own tier. So he's the best pass protecting running back in the class. He's got better hands. than I think people might think for a bigger guy, he, he reminds me a lot of Chris Carson, a, a little bit more athletic version of Chris Carson. I mean, some people love them and, and see Nick Chubb. I don't, I'm not at that level, but it, but if he's a more athletic version of Chris Carson, they probably got themselves a really good, solid starting running back. You know, they could, I think Melvin Gordon could be a surprise camp cut, to be honest with you. This year's Lennon Fournette. Most likely he probably starts the year and then slowly but surely Williams continues to eat into that backfield and slowly but surely take it over. 
Chris, thoughts on Denver? Do you share my sentiment that as much as Sertan is a really good prospect, they should have went the quarterback route or any other thoughts about Javante Williams or anybody else? I mean, obviously an Aaron Rodgers trade could uh, change that narrative, certainly. For sure, um, for sure. <laughs> we, we we don't know that that's happening. And, I mean, I said that the Jets should have taken Justin Fields at two. So, I mean, to say that Denver at number nine, without even having to trade up, should have taken a guy like Justin Fields, I think is, is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, you know, I don't believe in Drew Locke. You know, I, I'm definitely a, a guy who loves Teddy Bridgewater, but, you know, he's certainly not the answer um you know it's hard to deny that even as as a guy who's always thought he you know had that kind of potential so i mean you know you take justin fields there um you know i think sertan was a good pick um especially with jc horn going one pick before like those are the consensus top two corners in the class he's you know he as you said he went right where he should have gone um and he has shut down corner upside he you know it's not a bad pick it's just more about the opportunity cost about what might have been a better pick or maybe a more impactful pick might be the way to describe it and i mean quinn miners uh you know that, that guy's fun we, we got to talk to him on our show too he's a, he's a really fun guy we asked him about the whole uh you know wearing his jersey up and, and showing the gut at the senior bowl and everything <laughs> like that so i mean he's 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 a fun guy um you know really good versatility um definitely did not expect him to be available near pick 100 so that was a surprise to me i thought he was really good value uh javante williams fine at the beginning of the second round as you said you know kind of Melvin Gordon's probably going to end up getting phased out. I don't know that he's a camp cut. That's probably a bit of a hot take. But, you know, if you said that last year about Leonard Fournette, people would have told you the same thing. So maybe you end up being right on that. At the very least, you know, his time is kind of numbered. Uh, and, and Javante Williams is going to take over that backfield sooner rather than later, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you in terms of Javante Williams. And it'd be interesting. Yeah, listen, if you're if you're telling me it comes out down the line that Green Bay loved Patrick Sertan, even though they drafted a cornerback later in round one and, and they already started to have, you know, they did that for them, you know, the odds of that being the case, I think, are remote. But, you know, if that's the case, that's a different story, right? You know, but if not, as much as I like Sertan the player, I think they should have upgraded at the quarterback. So let's take this to the Chiefs. They did not have a first-round pick because a little while before the draft, they traded it for offensive tackle Orlando Brown. So, you know, obviously he was like their first-round pick this year. So that was a good use of their late first-round pick to stabilize that offensive line that let down the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs so much in the Super Bowl. As for the draft in round two, pick 58 overall, they take Nick Bolton, linebacker out of Missouri. In round two, they also take Creed Humphrey, center at Oklahoma. In round four, Joshua Kendo, defensive end out of Florida State. Round five, Noah Gray, tight end out of Duke. Also in round five, Cornell Powell, wide receiver out of Clemson. Round And then that was their picks in the first few rounds there through round five. Favorite pick, Creed Humphrey. I love the job that the Chiefs in one offseason have done to rebuild their offensive line you know, Creed Humphrey was a guy who was getting some late round one, early round two buzz. So for for them to get him all the way, I, I always thought that might have been a little bit too rich, but I, thought, I expected him to come off the board within the first 10, 15 picks of round two. So for him to fall all the way to pick 63 overall, I thought uh, was really nice. It's my favorite pick. You could say it was a value pick also, but I'm going to say for my value pick, I really like the Cornell Powell pick in the fifth round. I'm really intrigued by Cornell Powell. He's a guy that didn't get a lot of opportunity at Clemson, but I, I, from what I saw about him and then, you know, the senior bowl and stuff, I think Powell is an intriguing guy there. And all of a sudden you look at the chiefs wide receiver depth chart 
And all of a sudden, it's wide open after Tyree Kill. Like, you know, is this the year? I still, you know, I'm holding out hope that the Nicole Harmon breakout is soon. But if it's not, Demarcus Robinson, we know who he is. Bryce, uh, you know, Byron Pringle. You know, so I, I'm intrigued by Cornell Powell. So I thought he could have went, you know, round four, early round four. So for them to, to go late, late round five, I'm intrigued by Powell. In terms of questionable, you know, I'm interested to hear your take. I didn't really have much gripe with this you know i like the bolton pick in round two i think he could be a starter so if i'm really nitpicking you know maybe i would have went a different direction with my round four or round five picks in terms of kendo and noah gray i'm not a huge noah gray fan but i understand you know what he brings to the table there is maybe a potential backup for travis kelsey any thoughts on the chiefs i i struggle to see where they did you know anything too questionable from my end but you might see it a little bit differently somewhere I mean, nothing that really stands out. I mean, you know, maybe you could argue Nick Bolton should have been like, you know, 15, 20 picks later or something like that. You know, more of a two down thumper type who's not, you know, a three down linebacker. But then again, at the back end of round one, unless you're Cleveland and you're, you know, drafting a, a falling Jeremiah Wosukoromoa, like you're not getting a three down linebacker back there. So I, I have no real issue with the Bolton pick. I, agree with you completely that, I mean, Creed Humphrey, I mean, yeah, they traded their first round pick for Orlando Brown. And then it's almost like they drafted a guy who they could have taken with that first round pick in Creed Humphrey. Um, you know, he was a guy with, uh, you know, the Jets picking 34. I was very interested in them possibly picking up Creed Humphrey at 34. And then he falls, you know, 29 picks later to pick 63. Um, you know, as you said, just a really good job by the Chiefs, just, you know, refortifying that offensive line, which was an obvious weakness for them in the postseason. Got to keep Patrick Mahomes upright. That is a huge investment in him in every way, financially and, and on the roster, and you know, rightfully so. Um, but yeah, I mean, Creed Humphrey pick, excellent. Nick Bolton pick, fine. You know, Joshua Kando has some upside, you know, really late in the fourth round. Um, you know, Cornell Powell, as you said, I kind of like him. Trey Smith, uh, sixth round pick out of Tennessee. I mean, this is a guy that was one of the top graded senior prospects heading into the season. Um, you know, obviously has some medical red flags, but you know, getting a guy like that who you know, was the top guard on a lot of boards, not just the top senior guard, the top guard on a lot of boards heading into the season, getting him in round six. I mean, that's, you know, very low risk if he doesn't work out medically, but you know, there's starter upside there. So, I mean, if the chiefs were to hit on that pick, in addition to adding Orlando Brown, in addition to getting Creed Humphrey, I mean, you, you know, used one draft and, you know, two decent draft capital picks and, and one later pick to possibly add three starters to your offensive line. Now that would be impressive. Yeah, they, the the job that they did, they basically made it a mission and they said what happened in the Super Bowl is never going to happen to Patrick Mahomes again. Like that literally was the mission statement for this offseason and I think mission accomplished in terms of what they did. So let's keep this going. The Los Angeles Chargers, I really was a fan of what the Chargers did, especially a, a I, I kind of like their first five picks, to be honest with you. In round one, they take uh, Rayshon Slater, offensive tackle, or maybe guard at, at a Northwestern. In round two, Asante Samuel Jr., at a cornerback at a Florida State. Round three, Josh Palmer, wide receiver at a Tennessee. Later on in round three, Trey McKitty, tight end at a Georgia. In round four, Chris Rump. Uh, edge rusher out of Duke, and then also in round, uh, and then round five, Brendan Jameis, offensive tackle out of Nebraska. My favorite pick is obviously Rayshon Slater. If he would have went somewhere in the five to eight range, nobody would have blinked an eye in terms of his upside and talent. If he would have been picked, 
you know, right after, you know, Penny Sewell, if he would have been taken even a pick or two before Penny Sewell, I don't think, you know, there would have been this uproar in terms of what people thought about that. You know, the, the, the comp that's been thrown out there, you know, some people said in terms of like a Zach Martin type, he can be, he can play guard, he can play tackle, you know, I like Slater's game a lot. I think he is a high level prospect and that they just sat there at 13 and probably we were very pleasantly surprised uh, that he fell to them in terms of value picks. I think Chris Rump in round four, if he would have went somewhere, you know, early to mid round three, I wouldn't have been stunned by it to be honest with you. So I think he's an interesting guy there and was really good value. Uh, the questionable pick, I, I guess, you know, as much as I personally like Trey McKitty, I guess you can say that they could have went a different route, right? Reverend Jordan, who we talked about before, was still there. So maybe they would have went a different direction there instead of McKitty and maybe went with a different tight end. But but I don't mind McKitty. I think he's got some untapped upside, you know, formerly of Florida State and transferred to Georgia. I like McKitty's game a lot. So I like the charge what they did and, you know, even the Samuel you know, Asante Samuel, I'm a, I'm a big fan of him, especially where they got him. And then Josh Palmer, I, you know, I know we've had conversations off air. And if in a year from now he gets an opportunity to be the starter on the outside, if Mike Williams moves on, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Palmer's another one of those guys that really was held back by what was going on in Tennessee the last few years. And I'm really intrigued by his upside. So I thought the Chargers had a really good draft. Obviously, they were just fortunate with Slater dropping to them. You know, if he's not there, it changes the whole narrative of this then. But all in all, I was a fan of what they did. Thoughts on the Chargers, Chris? Oh, I mean, yeah, to kind of echo what you said about Josh Palmer, I mean, he's the kind of guy I just throw out the stat sheet because um, nothing that happens statistically is really going to impact what he's going to be or who he's going to be. As an NFL player, I was, you know, totally fine for that pick. And, you know, as you said, wide open opportunity on that depth chart. So, you know, if he shows enough, this year, then there's definitely a chance he's their number two wide receiver, uh, number one outside receiver, number two receiver in terms of targets. Um, you know, next year, the Trey McKitty pick, I'd agree with you. I mean, I have no strong issue with it, but I didn't expect him to go in round three. So that was definitely a bit of a surprise. I mean, the Chargers, they did some interesting stuff in this draft. I don't know if I'm as high on this draft issue. I might not be as high on Rashawn Slater as you. I understand the positional versatility. I understand the really elite level athleticism. Um, you know, he's a good football player. I think he went right about where he should have gone. Um, I don't think he has Zach Martin level upside. Um, I understand the comp in terms of the versatility. I just don't think he is quite the player Zach, that Zach Martin was, even though they kind of went in similar ranges of the draft. I like the Asante Samuel junior pick, uh, you know, late in round two. I mean, you get a corner with, you know, some upside, a guy who can play the ball. Um, I, I really like what they were able to do there. Um, maybe not as high on their overall draft. I don't see a lot of screaming value that says to me, oh, wow, you know, this, the, I can't believe this guy fell. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I think they did a pretty solid job. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, the Chargers are a team that is, is very talented, right? And every year it seems like something kind of, you know, holds them back. And then last year, Justin Herbert, you know, out, performed expectations of anybody and now i think the bar is starting to be raised up and people are really going to start having expectations this year for them and we'll see if they can meet it let's close out the night with the final team in the afc west that's the las Las vegas raiders and i wish i could say we saved the best for last but that would be a lie they are probably the in the running with the Texans of my least favorite drafts of all the AFC teams we have talked about tonight. 
In round one, they reach for Alex Leatherwood, offensive tackle out of Alabama. Most people thought either late, late round one or early to mid round two. In round two, they at pick 43, they take safety out of TCU, Trevon Morig. Round three, Malcolm Kuntz, edge rusher out of Buffalo. Later in round three, Divine Diablo, safety out of Virginia Tech. In round four, Tyree Gillespie, safety out of Missouri. Round five, Nate Hobbs, cornerback out of Illinois. I don't know what there is to say about the Raiders. Every year they seem to make a pick that really leaves you scratching your head. I don't mind Leatherwood. I think he's a good player. I think he's a starting right tackle. But to take him over Christian Darrisaw, I just don't understand it. I don't see it. I, you know, I have a hard time seeing what they must obviously see in terms of that. You know, why not trade back a little bit if that was the case? You know, was there another team really going to take Leatherwood early? I guess we'll never know. But I just think they, you know, I think Mike Mayock there and John Gruden have struggled to know how to play the draft board much at all, just in terms of what's out there and media coverage. It seems like they get set in on their guy and they're unwilling to move around and, and take value when it presents itself. In terms of, uh, you know, so I guess the Leatherwood pick would be right off the top. That would probably be my most questionable just because I think it's a half around at, at least too early, if not a little bit more than that. I think you can make the case that Trevon Morig is the, the best value pick because there was a lot of people who thought he was going to go round one. He was in a lot of mocks in the 22 to 32 range. So for him to go pick 43, I think is, is, is good value. Uh, you know, my favorite pick, if I really, you know, I don't, I, it's hard to find a favorite one, to be honest with you. I like Diablo a little bit's game. You know, there's some talk of, of them doing different things with him. You know, they just seem to, you know, if they move him to a linebacker position, you know, or a big linebacker or something like that, a nickel linebacker, I like the Diablo pick. I just, I struggle to see how he fits in with, you know, Morig and what's on their roster already. So while I like the, the pick there and, and that presented, you know, an interesting pick. I just don't know how it's going to fit all together. I feel like they have a lot of questions on how they're going to fit this roster together in terms of some aspects of the defensive side there. So all in all, not a big fan of this besides them getting good value on Trevon Morig. I struggled to see too much else in terms of you know, things that I really loved about this draft. Chris, did you see it any differently with, with the Raiders? Am I being a little too harsh here? No, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> you know, they, I mean, talking about the Diablo pick, just because you just mentioned that recently, I mean, they did the same thing last year with Tanner Muse. Um, you know, take a safety, a guy you're going to move the linebacker. So, I mean, you know, are you already giving up on Tanner Muse in that? Do you feel you need that much linebacker depth? Um, that you want to just draft a bunch of safeties and, and move them inside. And I'm not saying Diablo is a, a bad pick. That's actually probably a, a good fit for him based on, you know, his size. He's bigger than a guy like, you know, Jeremiah Wilson, Koromoa. Um, you know, so he, he could be a good fit at linebacker, but just, you know, weird that they did the same thing in the same portion of the draft last year. Um, you know, like you, I like Alex Leatherwood. I think he's a good, solid player. Um, I love Christian Darasaw. So to take Alex Leatherwood over Christian Darasaw is just complete lunacy to me. Um, you know, you could argue that if you switch the Raiders first and second round pick, you had Merrick at 17 and Leatherwood at 43, people wouldn't have a huge issue with it, but that's just not the case. Um, you know, you didn't have to take Merrick 17. Obviously he fell to 43 and while Leatherwood would have been good value there, well, you spent a first round pick on him and you're paying him like a first round pick too. 
So, you know, there's there's a lot of questions there. And, you know, the opportunity cost of not getting Darisaw, who one of my favorite prospects in this draft. So I I, I can't. I can't imagine taking Leatherwood, a guy I like, over a guy like Darisaw. To me, it's completely ridiculous um, that they would do something like that. You know, maybe they'll have the last laugh, but, you know, looking at their roster in the recent drafts, they probably won't uh, compared to kind of what everybody thinks. But, yeah, the Merrick pick was good. Third safety off the board, a guy, you know, a lot of people thought would be the first safety off the board. Uh, you know, again, some medical bumped down the draft, but the Raiders did take advantage there. So good work there. Malcolm Koontz, solid player. Didn't necessarily expect him to go in the third round. Uh, so I was a bit of an interesting pick, but yeah, really hard outside of the Merrick pick to find any value for the Raiders. And I think they really messed up that first round pick. Yeah. And, and you, you know, if some of their off the reservation selections had panned out recently, I think we'd all be willing to give them the benefit of doubt, but it seems like they're trying to be like the smartest guy in the room. And right now there are things that they've done just haven't panned out. Right. You go back a couple of years ago when they had like three first rounders and, that should have been the core of their franchise moving forward. And, and none of them are having high level impact. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough sledding, I think for them in terms of that. And you got to start to wonder like, you know, Gruden's locked in there with the 10 year contract or whatever. He'll be there for much longer, but you, you do wonder, you know, is Mike Mayock on the hot seat a little bit? Is it something that is he attached to the hip by with John Gruden? Because does Gruden want him there, or you know, could he you know potentially be in a position that they make a change if they continue to not you know take the next step and they continue to have poor drafts? Which when every year when you look back, I know it's hindsight, but you know they're not winning many of these drafts in terms of a year later, two years later, three years later. You know, if anything, they're even, it's even looking worse years out than it did in the moment. So, as always, Chris, a absolute pleasure. There it is, guys. All sixteen teams in the AFC in the books. Our favorite picks, value picks, questionable picks, breaking down the teams. Really in-depth, detailed stuff there. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Chris, please let the audience know what you and Tony are working on, anything else you want to share with the Saturday to Sunday football audience as well. And as always, thank you so much for doing this. I do appreciate it. I know it is a long pod. It's a it's a more grinding one than, you know, than most pods. Uh, but I enjoy having you on the other side doing this each of the last few years with me here for the AFC teams. Well, always fun to be here. And, and thanks as always for having me. I mean, we almost made it under an hour and a half this year. Uh, you know, I think we spent a lot of time on the early divisions and then uh, you know, kind of caught up a little later, but couldn't quite get it to an hour and a half, but still not too bad. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Tripodi. Uh, you can also find me at the Believe Podcast Network, my podcast, Believe in the Draft Analyst with Tony Pauline, who's been covering the draft since I was in diapers. Um, you know, we, we chatted up every week. We got multiple multiple podcasts coming out you know each of these couple of weeks we're actually doing our own reviews uh going by division as well so two each week for four weeks this week we only got one had some audio issues but um you know should be getting those out soon and then you know we'll we'll go into prepping for next year um you know it's never too early to to look over some summer tape and, and see what's going on for the 2022 draft and, and that's what we'll be doing throughout the summer so certainly come check us out believe in the draft analysts if you want to want to check out the podcast and you know, certainly leading up to the draft, we have plenty of interviews coming next year as well. I mean, you know, we talked to several guys that I mentioned on this podcast, other guys we had, we talked to Ian book, we talked to Dwayne Eskridge. We talked to, um, 
uh, Brendan James, who Paul briefly mentioned for Denver. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of good, interesting guests on the show and, and lots of good, interesting talk. And then obviously during the season, we'll get into some games and, and what's going on, who's rising and, you know, who are the names you need to know. So, you know, check us on out over at the, uh, the Believe Podcast Network. And, and as always, Paul, thanks for uh, having me on here and letting me uh, chop it up with you a bit. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Guys, if you're not checking out the Draft Analyst pod over there, I believe, make sure you do it. They really do an excellent job. I know I've been listening to their, you know, division by division recap pods. I love listening during the year. You know, you know, Tony is someone who's been doing this forever, really, you know, has his sources and, and resources. It, it's great stuff. And like like here at Saturday Sunday, we turn the page in time to the 2020 class. Over there, Tony and Chris will probably turn the page even before we turn the page here at Saturday, Sunday, as we kind of, you know, take a, a little bit bigger lens view of the fantasy stuff uh, before we turn the page. They go right into the scouting and the discussing of the next wave of prospects. Uh, so make sure you are listening them out. They also provide great coverage in the pre-draft month, especially around the All-Star Games. And hopefully next year, everything is back to normal with Combine, too. So make sure you're definitely checking them out all through the pre-draft month as well. So on behalf of Chris, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.